Hello, I'm Monty Schinkel of Take Heart Ministries. We're so thankful to have this opportunity to preach the gospel and to continue to tell people that they can take heart because Jesus cares for them. A part of what we're doing is a weekly podcast. We'll focus upon different passages of scripture and heroes from the Bible. This week, we're going to be looking at Elijah. In fact, over these next several weeks, we're going to be talking about the days of Elijah. Elijah lived during a difficult time in the land of Israel, as we live in a difficult time today. And yet through it all, he stayed strong in the Lord, and he brought God's faithful message to the people of Israel that they could take heart because they had a God who was strong and mighty against all the gods that Ahab and Jezebel and anyone else would bring up. Elijah's God prevailed. And on Mount Carmel and down in the valley and off in the desert, until the Lord took him to heaven, God was with him. And these are the days of Elijah. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. And I have a word from the Lord to you this morning that you're going to need. You have needed it, you do need it, and you will need it. And some of you may say, well, nothing like what happened to Elijah is ever going to happen to me. It either, either is happening, has already happened, or will happen. And chances are, in the course of life, it's going to happen several different times. 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah, this mighty man of God, stands upon Mount Carmel, and he faces all the prophets of Baal, and all the strength and might of Ahab and Jezebel, and he puts them to a contest let the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And so the prophets of Baal, they build their altar, they pray, they cry out to the false god Baal, and false gods give no answer, there's no firefalls. Elijah reorders, rebuilds the, the altar of God like we talked about last Sunday morning. He puts a stone in, each stone representing one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So it signified a united, reunited, put-back-together kingdom uh, nation. And so he did that. Then he said, let's put an offering on it. And they killed a bullock and put the bullock on top of the altar that he had rebuilt. Then he said, uh, as he dug a trench around it, he said, pour four barrels of water on it. They pour four barrels of water on it. He said, pour four more barrels of water on it. They poured four more barrels. He said, pour four more barrels on it. They poured four. And you understand, folks, that there was an offering that was made that day, but there was a sacrifice that was given. That, that bull that was laid upon the altar that was an offering but that water was a sacrifice it hadn't rained three and a half years and so when everything is soaked and and the false prophets have done everything they could with no fire Elijah prays a very simple 62 word prayer and he calls on the name of the Lord God of Abraham Isaac and Israel and the fire of God falls and it consumes the sacrifice, and not only does it consume the sacrifice, it consumes the wood that's under the altar, and it, and it consumes the stones of the altar. And I mean, that's what fire, God's fire can do, and it licks up all the water. And then Elijah goes and he begins to pray, and he prays, and he asks God to send rain, send rain, send rain. He continues to send his servant to look and see if there's rain coming, and finally uh, the servant comes back and says, I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand. Elijah said, get ready, there's a great rain coming. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 19, things change. The Bible says in verse 1, and Ahab told Jezebel, all that Elijah had done and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. 
Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I may not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, I'm going to kill you. That's the response. I'm going to kill you. Now, bear in mind, this is the very same Elijah that had been sustained by God at, at the brook Cherith and by the widow at Zarephath, the very same Elijah that could face 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Now, with Jezebel saying, I'm going to kill you, what happens? And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and he left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, I am a failure. Huh? What? He said, it's enough. Oh, Lord, take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. And he lay and slept under a juniper tree. As he slept under the juniper tree, behold, an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals. You say, what kind of a cake baked on the coals? Angel food cake. <laughs> Come on, folks. I mean, that's clear. And he, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. And he arose, and he did eat, and he drank, and he went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Now, the story doesn't end there, but for right now, we're just going to stop. Elijah rec uh, represents uh, a believer, a follower of the Lord, of the Lord God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has been faithful to follow the Lord, who's done what God told him to do, followed his instruction in every way, and has even seen a great victory, and now Elijah is tired. He's discouraged, and he's beaten down. He has suicidal thoughts. I wish I could just die. And it is hard for me to imagine. Here's a man that could face 450 prophets of Baal, and here's a man that that, uh, you know, in the Bible, there are just certain periods of miracles. We kind of think that miracles run all the way through the Bible, and they do, but there are certain periods of miracles, like in the days of Moses, there were great miracles that, that, that Moses saw performed. In, in the days of Jesus, there were great miracles that Jesus performed. But in between Moses and Jesus, there is this one big period of miracles, and those are the days of Elijah and Elisha. So here's this man, he's, he's done these things, he's seen, if you called on God and God dropped fire out of the heavens and consumed an altar, then how could you in just a very short period of time crawl up under a juniper tree and say, God can't take care of me, I'm a failure, I'm a waste, I'm no good, uh, God must not care about me, I just want to die, I'm no better than my fathers. You see, Elijah represents a Christian that is discouraged and depressed. And notice what I said, a Christian. You say, a Christian, a Christian. 
a believer that is discouraged and depressed. In 1985, Betty and I, along with a couple other folks from Washington, Missouri, went down to Windermere. Uh, there was a conference down there. Uh, there, was a, there was a guy that had kind of a crazy hairdo named Charles Stanley. Uh, he did this comb-over thing. And he was down there, and he was preaching. And there were some other preachers there, Dr. Peter Lord. Uh, it, it was a wonderful gathering at Windermere. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was 1985. And uh, they had a pastor get up and share testimony, and I remember this. Uh, his name is, because he's still living, he's still living in Missouri, his name is Bob Werner. And Dr. Bob Werner had been pastor of First Baptist Church of Ferguson, Missouri. Amazing. And at that time, First Baptist Church of Ferguson was probably the largest church in our state. I'm talking about the largest Southern Baptist church in our state. It was, it was a growing, thriving church. They had a school. They had, uh, they had a lot of great things going on. They were reaching a lot of people, baptizing a lot of people. But some of you will remember this, that, that 30 years ago, maybe 31 years ago now, they, they, they came back, uh, some kids had been on a field trip. They came back on their, their church bus, and they parked this bus in the parking lot, and they came in, but there was one child that was left on that bus that evidently was asleep or had laid down underneath the seat or something, and nobody saw it, and that child died in that hot bus. And Dr. Werner stood before us and gave his testimony. Of course, obviously, the, the church came under attack, and, and obviously, you know, I'm sure that there were, there were lawsuits and settlements that came out of that thing, but, but the way that, it, that, that that pastor, that man of God, took that thing personally, and so he just, he just dropped into the pit. Here he is pastoring uh, probably the largest church in our state, and, and they're seeing many people come to Christ, and everything is thriving, and then all of a sudden something like this happens, and he just, he just drops into a pit. And I heard him share with us at Windermere how that he actually reached a place where he didn't, have a, he didn't want to read his Bible. He didn't want to pray. And I think the, the church gave him a sabbatical, and he just, he just go out, he just, I think he went out west, if, if I recall right, and he just sat up on a mountaintop, but he didn't want to commune with God. He, he didn't want to do any of that. He just like, why me? Why this happened to us? Now, there's some of you in this building this morning that you have walked through pits of depression, great valleys, deep valleys. And it's impossible in the course of life. But what you're going to know, some victories, you're going to know some mountaintops, but you're also going to know some valleys. Somebody you love is sick, and you watch them as they deal with the sickness in their life. And maybe they even die. Thinking about, I thought about grandparents of those children that perished at the lake this past weekend. Where do you turn for hope when you walk through such a valley? Thinking about parents and siblings of those three girls that were taken out so suddenly in that accident this past weekend. Thinking about that, that marriage, you, you never really thought it'd come to this, but it has. 
thinking about that ministry. One guy said when he went in the ministry, he prayed, God, help him, help me win the whole world for Jesus. And he said after he'd been at it for a while, he said, Lord, help me win a few people for Jesus. Then he said he'd been a pastor a while longer, and he said, Lord, help me not lose too many. Uh, and so there's kind of that way. But I, I, this morning, I, I look at this text, and I think about this thing called spiritual dryness. Maybe that's a malady that you've never experienced in your life. I certainly have. Walter Trobish wrote a little booklet called Spiritual Dryness. It's been a blessing by heart because in that booklet, he laid out what he said were the causes. And there may be more causes of just going through this period where you don't want to read your Bible and you're not that interested in praying. And really, it gets kind of crowded under the juniper tree. And you, because you're not the only one there. You may think, I'm it. I'm the only one. I'm the only one going through this. But it does. It gets crowded under the juniper tree. And here's, here's as Dr. R.G. Lee described <laughs> this, great, this great man, Elijah. He said he was having a pity party in juniper jungle. So you ever had a pity party in juniper jungle? And so he is. He's talking to himself. And God is listening in on the conversation. He says all these things. But there's a number of things that cause spiritual dryness. Let me just lay them out for you quickly because I want to also look at the cure. So more time on the cure than the cause. Number one would be sin. Dr. Trobish said that would be sin. And you know that that's true. Not to say that Elijah was a great sinner. Uh, probably a sinner in the... If he was a man that was... Uh, like passions like as we are, the Bible says. So there was not anything that was taking him that, but what was common to man. And God would give Elijah a way to escape, just like he'd give us a way to escape. But there's no way to overestimate, or rather there's no way to underestimate, I should say, the damage that disobedience to God can cause in our lives. Just ask David. I'm talking about King David. I'm talking about a man who wrote many of the Psalms talking about the greatest king that Israel ever knew, talking about a man that was after God's own heart. And yet when David killed a man and stole a woman, Psalm 51 is the heart cry of a man that has come face to face with a holy God and his own sin. And so it's no wonder that he cries out, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And so sin will cause you to go dry. David said, I can't even teach transgressors thy ways. Sinners don't come to repentance because of the spiritual dryness of sin in my own life. Hello, this is Monty Schenkel, and we sure appreciate you listening to this podcast. This is a new effort on our part from Take Heart Ministry. A little over a year ago, we began Take Heart Ministry with the intention of telling people by means of radio and also the internet and now by podcast that they can take heart because Jesus cares for them. If you'd like to know more about us, if you'd like to check our ministry out, you can go to takeheart.org. If you would like to personally contact me, you can write to Monty Schinkel or you can write to mschinkel at takeheart.org. Thank you for listening, and now back to the podcast. Here's the second thing Dr. Strobish said. Undernourishment and inertia. Now, you say, what do you mean by that? If you stop feeding on the Word of God, 
you will dry up. If you stop drinking of that spiritual drink, you will dry up. It is a known deal that, that if you're going to be used of God, if you're going to feed others, you better be feeding yourself. You must be fed. And along with this thing of undernourishment is this thing of inertia, which, which what, I, what he meant by that and what I believe is true. If you're not doing anything in God's kingdom, you may be being fed well. It may be coming in through Sunday school and church and, and Bible reading, and you may say, well, I read through the Bible every year, and I spend time with God all the time. But if you're not doing anything, why is the dead sea the dead sea? Who killed the dead sea? Somebody asked. Been to the Dead Sea. Nothing is live in the Dead Sea unless it's a bunch of fat Baptists floating around on it. I mean, I've been there, done that. And so you look down the Dead Sea, it's beautiful. I mean, it is beautiful. There are more colors in the Dead Sea you can possibly imagine. Colors of the rainbow there in the Dead Sea. All of God's spectrum of colors right there in the Dead Sea. Depending on how the sunlight is, I mean, it's a beautiful place to visit, but I sure wouldn't want to live there. The reason the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea is because it's the... Lowest point on the earth, it is the world's cesspool. Everything goes there, and it is all dead. And, if there, is, and there is no outlet, there is no outlet for the Dead Sea. It just stops right there. And if there's no outlet for your spiritual life, if everything just stops with you, if you haven't found a place to serve God in his kingdom, now I'm not just advocating that everybody needs to sign up to teach Sunday school, but I am saying that if you're not pouring out, you will you will dry up. Here's the third thing. Overfeeding and overstrain. Overfeeding and overstrain. Dryness can come after a religious high point. One of the highest mountain peaks, in, at least not, not, not real physically, but spiritually, one of the highest mountain peaks in all of the Bible, and you could say for anybody could have ever possibly experienced, would have been Elijah when he stood on Mount Carmel and he watched God answer his 62-word prayer. And kawoom, down the fire fell. I'd like to have seen it at a distance. And so you see the, the fire that fell and consumed the altar and everything that was on it, that had to be a high point. And then he goes and he gets, begins to pray. It hadn't rained for three and a half years. He's already said it'll rain again at my word. He begins to pray, God send rain, God send rain, God send rain. Seven times he asks him, and, and God sends rain, a mighty great rain. Here's a man that has been mightily used of God. He's been on a mountaintop. And you know what? When you're on a mountaintop, you're a candidate for the valley. Sometimes kids go off to youth camp, or I say this because we've all experienced it. We go off to youth camp, or we go off to some, some activity, or we go off to some retreat, or even, a, even we could have a revival meeting right here, and you have that revival, and everybody's just so pumped, and everything is so good, then you wonder why just a few weeks later, it's like you've fallen off the edge of that mountain. You've been fed, fed, fed. So it's overfeeding or overstrain. You've given, 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 given. And God has used you mightily. This is what I see in Elijah's life. God has used him mightily. He has given, given, given. Now, because of all that giving, he suddenly wakes up one day and realizes his heart is cold and dry, and he is afraid. Here's the fourth one. 
disregard for the body. Now you say, Brother Monty, come on now. Well, body and soul are a unit. A sick mind can be the cause of a sick body. But a sick body can also be the cause of a sick mind. Now, when I say sick mind, I'm not saying you're, you're sick people. Some of you are, but I'm not saying that, okay? I'm just saying that what happens in your physical body. Haven't you ever discovered that when you're the, in the bottom of the... When, and if you haven't discovered this, then let me give you a word of advice. Take a walk. Take a walk to the refrigerator. Reach hither thy hand. No, but haven't you ever noticed that your physical condition, if you're exhausted, if you're run down, if you are stressed to the limit, it begins to affect the way that you think. It affects your emotions. So sometimes just, just disregard for the body, not paying attention to what you eat, not paying attention to your health, not paying attention to your blood pressure. You say, is that stuff in the Bible? Well, I think it is. You've got to take care of yourself, and that affects your whole disposition, and then a merry heart worketh good like a medicine. So your mind affects your body. Your body affects your mind. We are a, total, we are a complete unit. Dr. Trobe said a good pianist may be able to play an old instrument, but even the best pianist cannot give full expression to the music he would like to play if the piano is out of tune. The fifth cause is a loss of balance. God built into our lives a rhythm, an order of things. And you see this all the way back in Genesis where God rested on the seventh day. It doesn't mean that God was tired because God doesn't get tired, but God stopped what he was doing on the seventh day, and he ordained that there would be a day of rest, something to break the rhythm. Now, you may brag about the fact that you are a workaholic, but let me tell you, if you don't balance work and rest, if you ignore the balance, it will affect your spiritual life and you will dry up. What's Elijah been doing? On the go, on the go, on the go. Jezebel's out to get him. He gets up and runs. There's a loss of balance in his life. But I want you this morning in these remaining uh, several minutes to think with me about how God deals with us when we go through such a period of spiritual dryness. How did he deal with Elijah? Well, I look here at Elijah, and he's verse 4. He's up under this juniper tree, and he says, Oh, Lord, take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, here comes the angel and the angel touches him and says, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was, what is this angel doing? This is just simply the ministering of God in Elijah's life. The angel didn't, didn't get up that morning and say, what am I going to do today? God had a plan. God knew Elijah was going to be under that juniper tree. God dispatched an angel. We're not told who the angel was. Obviously, the angel of baking there must be one, and so arise, Elijah, and eat. And he woke up and he ate, and then he went back to sleep. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is more than you can bear. And, he, and God knows when the journey is more than you can bear. And he rose, and he did eat, and he drank, and he went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God, which is Mount Sinai. 
Verse 9, now he makes this journey to Mount Sinai, and he came, when he came there, uh, he went in a cave, and he lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with a sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it. And he said, go stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. It was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood in the entering of the cave and behold there came a voice unto him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken he, He'd rehearsed this thing. They've forsaken thy covenant, they've thrown down thine altars, they've slain thy prophets, and I'm all that's left. And the Lord said to him, I have something else for you to do. Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou hast come there, you anoint Haziel to be the king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of uh, Abimelech, shalt thou anoint to be a prophet in thy stead, in thy room, and it shall come to pass, him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth Jehu shall Elisha slay, yet I have left... 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. This is how God deals with our spiritual dryness. First thing he would say, as Dr. Trobish said, sin is often the cure of it, and then what's the answer? Our sin's often the cause, and what is the cure? Repent. Wherever sin is the cause, repent. And is it not true, have we not found that when we come to the Lord and we deal with our sin? that God just lifts the burden. Now, some folks are more sensitive souls than others. And some folks can never get on in life, and they're, they're absolutely convinced that, that God can never forgive them, and they can never be free of that. And dear friend, if that is the case, you're harder on yourself than God is on you. God has already dealt with it. He's already assigned it to his son. Jesus Christ has already borne it to Calvary. When you say that you've been cleansed by the blood of the lamb, then stand in that cleansing. Stand in that forgiveness. Repent of your sin. Put it behind you. Turn away from it and walk on with Jesus Christ. Get your head up, people. Don't be harder on yourself than God is on you. Jesus has already dealt with it. Now, you repent of it. You stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. But then get on. Don't you spend your life kicking yourself. You get on with it. Here's the second thing. Cure of spiritual dryness. Rest. What was the first thing Elijah did as he crawled up under the juniper tree? He rested. He went to sleep. Never underestimate the value of a good night's rest. I thought that all the time when I was raising teenagers. Never underestimate the value of a good night's rest. Just get one, uninterrupted, without worry, without, where are they? Why aren't they home? 
It's 10.37 and a half. It, that's curfew. And it really was for at least one of ours. Because you see, what he would begin to do would begin to negotiate with me about how late he could stay out. And the longer he negotiated, the more time I cut off. Until finally at 10.37 and a half, Aaron stopped to negotiate. That's it. It wasn't getting any better. It was getting worse. But just rest. Elijah had been under the gun, under pressure, overstrained. Sometimes the best thing you can do to come out of your period of spiritual dryness is just go to bed. That may be the most profound thing I say this morning. Just go take a nap. Now, not right now. And I didn't mean it right now. You don't know what's coming. Elijah didn't know what was coming. So you better sleep while you could. Here's the third thing. Refuel. Refuel. You see, the, the gas was out of his tank. He's on empty. And so can you imagine what it would have been like? It, it might have been like Betty's cinnamon rolls. I don't know what it would have been like. But to wake up and find an angel there that has provided the food for you, that has cooked a cake for you, that has brought it to you, and said, here's something for you to drink, here's something for you to eat. And you know, of course, I'm talking about not just fuel in the physical sense, but I'm talking about fuel in the spiritual sense. There are times when we just have to be fed of the Lord. You may find that, uh, that favorite sermon somewhere that you want to listen to, that favorite preacher that you want to listen to, that conference that you want to go to, that's something that is going to pour fuel into your life, then be refueled. Refocus. That's the fourth thing. Listen, to, listen for his voice. And boy, we have an interesting picture here because Elijah makes, after he is fed, after he's rested a little bit, then he makes this journey over to Mount Sinai, over to Mount Horeb, over the Mount of God. And while he's there, he's staying in a cave, and God finds him in that cave, and he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, well, I've been very jealous for the Lord of hosts and all these, all these things are going on, and Lord, uh, you know, that I'm the only one left. And so God says, come stand in the Mount of the cave, mouth of the cave, he stood in the mouth of the cave, and earth, wind, and fire. I mean, it's all right there. Earthquakes and wind and fire. God's not in any of those things. But then he is in a still small voice. And Elijah says, it's me. I've been very jealous for you, God. And what is the ultimate statement that God makes here? You don't know what's going on, Elijah. And we never know what's going on. God gives us enough insight to encourage us and help us along the way. And, but we really don't know what's going on because you see the, the, the thing that God is saying to Elijah here is you're saying you're the only one that's left and I've got 7,000 that have not bowed a knee to Baal. They've not kissed Baal. What are you talking about? You're the only one. And there would be prophets that would rise up and say, and so he says, you need to go anoint Haziel, and you need to anoint Jehu, and by the way, you need to anoint Elisha. We'll come to that in just a moment. Here's the fifth thing God says. He reminded him, you're not alone. It's not as bad as you think. My work goes on. I have 7,000 who have not bowed to Baal. The train is still on track. The engineer is still in control. Let me remind you of that. And here's the final thing. Reinforcement. Reinforcement. It's been a long journey, Elijah. 
And we think of all Elijah had experienced, God had appointed a successor. Is this bitter? Is this sweet? Is it bittersweet? You'd have to ask Elijah. He's the guy that's been in it all this time. And God looks at Elijah and he says, okay, Jehu needs to be anointed. Hazael needs to be anointed. And by the way, Elijah, there's a young man that's down here plowing. He's got a whole bunch, well, 12 yoke of oxen, folks. I think about 20 mule team borax. I'm thinking about this long stream of oxen that's stretched out before him. 12 yoke of oxen, I guess that's 24. And look at what it says in verse 19. So he departed thence, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he, with the 12, with the 12, and Elijah passed by him, and he cast his mantle upon him. This mantle, we will see it later as we come through these, these days, these sermons. And he left the oxen, and he ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father, my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said, I didn't do this to you. Go back, for what have I done to you? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them, and he boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and he gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. And what, Eli- what God was simply saying to Elijah is, you've been faithful, you've served. Now there is another young prophet that is coming that is here for a special purpose, for a particular time to stand beside you and strengthen you. Every Elijah needs an Elisha. Every Elisha needs an Elijah. God chose a busy man. He didn't choose one that was idly sitting there twiddling his thumbs. This man was out there working. He was plowing in the field when Elijah cast his mantle upon Elisha. For the next several years, they would serve together. Elisha would be his assistant. They walked together. They worked together. They worshiped together. Elijah was strengthened by this young man. In the end, Elijah's mantle would fall upon Elisha. And Elisha would pray, Lord, Elijah said to Elisha near the end of Elijah's earthly days, he said, what do you want? He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. I have never calculated it all out, but some have said that Elisha performed performed twice as many miracles as did Elijah. Elijah. Now this morning, I'm speaking to some people that are under the juniper tree. I know you are. I don't know how you got there, not fully at least. I don't know how spiritual dryness, at least not completely, I don't know how it's in your life. But in a great many cases, We find ourselves under the juniper tree because we're trying to do things on our own. By the works of the flesh. And the Bible says, "By by the works of the flesh shall no man be justified. You're dry for a good reason. Some of you are dry because you've never tasted the living water. Now, you may not even know you're dry. Well, one of the things Dr. Trobish said is so encouraging to me, when I go through dry times, and I do, and so when I go through dry times, I remember this, that, that one reason it bothers me so much when I find my heart dry and cold is because I know what it is to not have a dry and cold heart. 
And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and the Lord's presence has been so real to you at times, and you've known him, then suddenly when you wake up one day and you say, Lord, where are you? I don't know what I'm doing here under this juniper tree. Then the re- it's a good sign. Can I say that? It's a good sign because it bothers you. If it doesn't bother, if your spiritual dryness and your need for a movement of God in your life doesn't bother you, it probably means that you've never known the Lord. And so you've never tasted that living water. I'm telling you, if you ever get a taste of that living water, if you come to know Jesus Christ, your Savior, dear friend, if you trust Him and your sins are forgiven and and they're under the blood and you find you've got new life in Christ, it doesn't mean you're not going to deal with dry and thirsty country. It doesn't mean you're not going to be under the juniper tree from time to time and find yourself discouraged. But let me tell you, there is living water and there is hope that can be found in Jesus Christ and He offers it to you freely. You can have it if you'll come to Jesus. Jesus. But if you're one of God's children and you find yourself dry, then like David in Psalm 51, you beat a trail home. You run home like the prodigal son in Luke 15. You run to the Father and you find the Father is waiting for you. Thank you for listening to this podcast today. We appreciate you tuning in. We pray that this has been a blessing to you. And I pray that today you in your own heart can take heart because you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And Jesus came to be the Savior of all who would call upon him. And if today you've never trusted in him, I encourage you to say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, forgive me and save me. And God's Word says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our purpose in all of this is to encourage you to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to grow in Jesus, and to take heart in Jesus. He cares for you.